Welcome to the Alchemy Archetypes and Ascension podcast. I'm your host, Jess Beard. I believe we can change the world if we all concentrate on ascending into the greatest versions of ourselves in this lifetime. All episodes and interviews are to inspire and educate us to transform. I want to explore spirituality, 5D and quantum shifting, health, mindset, business and more. If you need to transform any error in your life, then I want to be talking about it. Welcome to my next episode. Someone joining me is one of my favorite people. Her name is Emily Diamond, and I had the privilege of being coached by her a few years ago. And I was recently watching one of her Instagram reels about worthiness. And I knew that I had to get her on my podcast and talking about this subject because of all the people I know, she has helped so many clients with this aspect. I can very safely say that she is an expert and I wanted to dive into this subject with her. If you would just like to introduce yourself a little bit to my audience, Emily, that would be fabulous. Tell us about you. Thank you, Jess. And I just want to acknowledge Jess for your podcast. It's phenomenal. And it's a real honor to be one of your contributors. Thank you for having me. Essentially, the work that I do is in the field of transformation. So I've been an elite coach for 18 years, close to two decades now. And I focus all of my work on behavior change, personal transformation. And I do that through the work I do with my clients and then also the personal development group programs that I've been running now for over 15 years. I knew you're an expert. The thing that I really noticed when I was in the coaching program with you is all of us in different levels. And I think there would have had to be I joined around the Christmas period, so there would have been over 100 of us, mm. and worthiness was probably one of the biggest themes, if not the biggest themes, and we were all in different levels of really being confronted by it. And I was kind of curious as to why you think it is such a huge program or such a huge pattern that everyone is confronted with. It just seems to be huge in the collective, and I thought you might have some insight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I love that this is the first question you're asking because the first question most people ask is like, well, how do I just simply feel more worthy? How do I fix it? Okay. And I'm a huge believer in if you don't know where you come from, it's very, very easy to make the same mistakes again. So knowing how something works is just as important as knowing what to do. And for me, the key sources, one is, of course, patriarchal conditioning, particularly of women. Um, But self-worth affects men just as equally as it affects women. It just affects us in a different way, okay? And so patriarchy and patriarchal constructs are toxic for both men and women because it forces it into particular roles, regardless of our personal gifts, our genius, our soul's purpose, okay? So for women, and I can only speak as a white privileged woman born in Australia, acknowledging that that makes me a person of privilege, the patriarchal conditioning on me is that around the way my appearance is will determine some of my value. But my appearance changes 4,000 times a day. You know, I wake up looking a certain way. I go to sleep looking a certain way. After I eat, I look a certain way. After I exercise, I look a certain way. So uh, physical and visual perspective and our size and our shape and our color and how we choose to use our bodies is one massively destructive source. Uh, and the body positivity movement, 
was excellent for highlighting and kind of pushing the pendulum, trying to move it over to the other side. And I feel like we're at a really amazing time to be alive right now because we've gone from the, you know, just very intensive body shaming and body criticism. There's been the pendulum swing to body positivity. And now we've got this really strong movement of body acceptance happening. And acceptance is where all the power is for transformation, right? That's the first step. So very pleased to be alive. And if anyone's struggling with concepts of identity and self-worth, Body is usually a pretty significant area, like the um, the Dove Collective, or sorry, Dove Institute research that was done a few years ago was 75% of girls determined their self-esteem based on their physical appearance. So how we felt about our appearance determined how we felt about ourselves. As we mature as women and we develop other life skills, relationships and ways of forging a sense of value in our culture, society, family and network. That moves on, but it's still got roots, right? You have to, look, we, I'm a big believer, you got to look at those roots. And it's so pervasive, it's kind of like a crime in plain sight. You know, we don't see it all because it's there all the time. We forget it's there, sort of like the fish in the water. The next thing I want to talk about is that we live in a money culture, okay? And money and even the language roots of money are to do with worth and value. So this concept of, you know, us all since the 1950s being like little economic producing units for our country and our global economy, you know, the economy sort of being the new God that everybody worships, the concept of worth and value, notice that those are financial terms, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about importance. It's not about how beautiful someone's soul is. It's not about how kind someone is. We culturally have this language that's so revealing, you know, to me, because I studied linguistic 20 years ago, it was language reveals everything about what's going on under the surface. Even if people are very deliberate about their choice of language, there's still always some sort of little sneaky telltale sign that shows and reveals what's really going on under the surface. So the fact that our sense of how valuable we are, how worthy we are. The fact that they're financial terms to me is also a huge problem because I can't compare a human being to an economic measure, but we're continually in an environment that's attempting to do that. So if we don't create new language and new concepts of who I am and why I am important, why I am lovable, you know, why I'm connected, why I'm powerful, why I'm beautiful, while I'm deserving of love if we don't develop new languages and patterns and new ways to like kind of calculate even that financial term right calculate or assess ourselves we'll continue to fall back into a paradigm so those paradigms of economics and those paradigms of body they completely don't work (laughs) and it's a completely dysfunctional recipe to you know like even now look I've got makeup on I've got jewelry on you know all that stuff that's about making myself like consumable for people making myself consumable accessible and Even that, you know, we know from all the cultures that have the highest level of satisfaction, connection, lowest issues of mental ill health, those paradigms are not the dominant paradigms of their society. So we're living in a little bit of a a mixed up, messy place where you have to essentially forge your own path and form your own decisions rather than seeking anything from the external environment. And if you've had a really amazing role model or mentors who've provided strong structure that's separate to the paradigms of economy or separate to the paradigms of just physical beauty value, then you've got a you've got a, a leap ahead. You know, you're a step ahead of everyone else, but everyone else is starting at the, at the starting line there. That's really fascinating because it really goes back to 
and I, I say this a few times when I'm talking, it's only been 70 years or so since the end of World War II and women could really kind of start to have more of a say in career choice and they went through a few decades of struggling we can vote we can do all those different things which redefined how we go forth but it also redefined the roles of of men so there's all this oh who am I we're we're literally at 70 years is a blip in time we're rediscovering who we are after millennia of not being able to do that you had to get married you had to have children you had to do this or you had to stay with your parents and I know that there are some people out there who could break the paradigm but that was the paradigm for the vast majority of people so we had these clear roles so and those roles didn't necessarily satisfy everybody right so that was the thing is like There's a reason we wanted to disrupt that. And then we've been in this like blender of disruption for like 70 years and it's still whirring really fast. Yeah. So all those people that were going through the coaching course with me and we're all facing that worthiness, it's because on one hand, we're stepping up and facing all these fears and and breaking paradigms that are quite old and hey this is what we're wanting to do we don't have any role models that might be entrepreneurs we don't have any role models that want to be healers or coaches or speakers or authors so they're really kind of nervous about that aspect but then on the other hand they're being bombarded on um, influences on social media about how you're supposed to be looking, how you're supposed to be sounding. I look at um, in a- absolute fascination of the unboxings and and the you know here's here's my fifty Louis Vuitton products and and I was really interested when you said about the money aspect because I I hadn't thought of that pressure that we we do put on it because that's how we start to value ourselves when the money really does come in as a massive conversation and funnily enough when it comes we tie it back to worthiness when people are stepping up and wanting to pursue the dreams that they want to they have to start charging money for their services and their time and it brings in that whole conversation where money is very much linked to worthiness yeah that's absolutely fascinating so you're a great demonstration of someone who's able to articulate why when we choose to do work that's like a representation of our soul's calling like I was always that kid that was like you know grandma couldn't program her VCR I'd be like I'll find a way because I was always about how do I make people's lives better my mum's best friend's neck hurts I'm gonna massage that lady's neck and take you know take the pain away right so there was this calling that we all have like when we all do the kind of um deep investigative journey of our life we see the signs of who we were being called to be and then of course that had to compete with surviving fitting in dealing sometimes with disruptive family situations traumatic experiences or simply just environments that weren't favorable for us to express that or for that to be you know nurtured you know typically um, people who've cultivated those things early it's because adults recognize it and put their attention on cultivating it's it's challenging to to forge that way kind of like hacking your way through the rainforest with a machete on your own when you're just a little kid and your machete is probably the size of a nail file you know so this experience that a lot of people have of being unclear about what they're called to do and then as they go through uncovering that to then have to confront all of those 
critical kind of judgments about who we are, that's attack on attack on our identity. And then but sadly for some people, because they both happen at the same time, those people falsely connect those two. They connect soul's journey with that kind of, of pain. Um, and sadly they give up. And that's that story. Some people give up, try again, give up, try again. That's me. I'm someone who gave up, tried again, gave up, tried again, kept persisting. My stubbornness uh, prevailed for me there. It's beautiful though. It's this beautiful thing of for me of well, what else am I going to do with this life except help people actualize themselves? What what else are we doing? What else? Just making more money? Like what else are we doing? Exactly. And the thing I like to say is if you're a black sheep, if you're a way shower and there's no one in your family that's quite like you, you're interested in all these things, they have no idea what you're talking about, or you might be interested in starting an online business and they don't even know how to work their email. And you're just like this foreign little um, implant into their family structure and can get quite confronting. But if you don't do anything about this feeling, you're always going to be the unhappy black sheep. You have to actually push through the, all the worthiness aspects, push through all of the things that come up and bubble up to the surface to be healed and shifted through. And as you said, don't give up. Just keep trying. That's the art of alchemy. If something doesn't work for you, try again. And, you know, our coaching industry, when I first uh, started looking into becoming a coach myself and what I was doing. My ultimate aspect is I just wanted to help people. I didn't really have any idea of how to go about forming the business or, or marketing, but I've always kept that core value. And I really feel like, and I'll tie it back to what you were saying before about we're getting bombarded with you must look this way, sound this way, wear this makeup, do this thing. And no one's saying you should be a really nice person. You should be a genuine person. You should care about what people are. Like, are you okay? When's the last time you asked somebody, are you all right? Instead, we all just put our little heads down and goes, please don't let a Karen appear while I'm shopping. I can't deal with it. And you don't actually look around and just go to the other people, are you okay? Because our values have got a little bit skewed. But we really need to face that feelings of, of not being worthy because you're just going to stay stuck. The upset, sad black sheep or the dissatisfied, unhappy person, you really have to at some stage face this and you might as well start doing it now instead yeah. of in 10 years being really unhappy or worse on your deathbed with a, a thousand regrets. Well, one path has a very certain outcome. What you're illustrating so beautifully is there's there's a choice. There's the red pill and the blue pill, right? So you choose the path of continue to attempt to conform, <laughs> which brings with it a life of crushing self-worthiness issues, doubt, shame, fear, and very low. I'm, put, I'm holding up the, the, um, the symbol for zero with my hand, but very low probability of you achieving what you actually want to achieve in your life and experience satisfaction. And then the other pathway is full of uncertainty and boldness and ups and downs and scraping your knees, but it's got a much higher probability of you experiencing joy, connection. And so like you said, it's like, well, where are the values? Is the value of me going, actually, what am I more committed to? I'm committed to a life where I can feel connection, joy, comfort, purposefulness, love, 
contribution or am I committed to attempting to make other people happy, which you end up learning through maturity anyway. You can't make anyone happy, so you're fucked either way. I don't know if you can swear on your podcast. <laughs> okay, there we go. There it is. There's the F-bomb for today. Yes, I'm a probabilities person. I'm like, hmm, which pathway has the highest probability? You know, one of them is, yeah, that zero symbol is very intentional. I'm like saying it's likely that you won't get any satisfaction. I'm like, I've never seen anyone get satisfaction. And and especially if your satisfaction is tied in with a core aspect of yourself, I just want to help people. I just want to be of service. I just, I've been through all this past trauma myself and I want to take all the trauma that I've experienced and help somebody so that they either don't feel alone or they don't go through the same thing and we find that passion and purpose from the stuff that we've been through so say I've got some beautiful listener who is really experiencing everything that we're just talking about and they're like oh I really want to help people but I'm petrified because there's no one else that's my guy there's no one else that's my way show I don't have anyone in my family or friends circle who can even give me some advice about this and I don't feel worthy but I feel a calling to just help people with everything I've been through or I've got some kind of a skill set what are your tips on how how to help them to really face their not feeling worthy oh so good okay I've got two things that you need to know and then two things that you can do okay and totally everybody's choice what they want to do right no pressure so the two things you need to know we already discussed one you've got to know that you're living in an environment that is not geared towards you succeeding at fulfilling your altruistic, idealistic, heart-based purposes, okay? So the calling that you have against the backdrop of our environment that confuses value and worth to being an economic output and looking a certain way, they are a myth. They are they're in conflict with each other. So that's the very first thing you need to know. And then when you really surrender to that, you stop looking outside for information. You stop looking outside to be the signpost to confirm yes, you're on the right track. Yes, you're doing the right thing. Okay. So that whole thing of surrendering to realizing, okay, this environment is not geared to help me. Therefore, I'm going to stop paying attention to the garbage that it's spewing out. Okay, I'm going to stop giving it any validity I'm going to stop giving it weight I'm going to stop checking in with it and you know this is why most people who are pretty self-educated are really intense and deliberate about where they get their sources of media and news and information from right because they know that the general environment is not geared to actually empower people and by power I mean give people more choices so that would be like their inner critic that might be, you know, telling them they can't do anything, but it also could be external. And if you have a friend or a family member who is a negative Nancy and is telling you you can't do these things, so you're literally saying you have to surrender to the knowledge that if you listen to that inner critic or you listen to those people who are negative Nancys, then you're going to stay stuck in in that energy forever. So it's kind of... Absolutely. And your inner critic, you know, our inner voice forms from the environmental exposure we have pre-seven. So our internal voice, our internal dialogue, our main patterns of measuring and assessing our okayness, okay? I deliberately avoid using the words value and worth, right? But uh, am I okay? Am I okay as a person? Am I okay? Am I doing it right? Is everything okay? Am I a good person? 
that comes from how we were conditioned up until the age of seven. And so most of us, you know, there's destructive, fearful or shameful aspects in there. So when you recognise that the environment is not a favourable environment for you, you learn to tune that out and then you also become very sensitised to which parts of your internal opinion have been formed on those externals. And that's one of the things that we get vigilant about, right? That's part of what we do. But the knowing of that's all geared that way, that doesn't help me. Okay, I'm going to stop seeking help, validation and insight or support from that environment. That's one that just instantly gives you a whole bunch of freedom. And then what it allows you to do is sort of what you were kind of alluding to there, Jess, which is it allows you to focus on and begin to craft a knowing of, well, who am I and who am I not? So the two things you have to know to be able to have a good sense of I'm a good person like I'm not, you know, the whole thing of worthiness and am I enough and all that sort of stuff is that the environment is a certain way and then who you are and who you're not and who you're choosing to be regardless of the environment. That to me is like the measure of a good person or, you know, for a lot of people, it's the measure of integrity. It's like, well, my environment could be doing this, but what am I doing? What am I choosing to say? How am I choosing to behave? So when, you know, I was in in a, um, a traffic incident last week with someone I was going to the cafe with a colleague and there was all these cars everywhere. Everyone was doing all this madness of all trying to get a park. So we pulled out of the way for someone who was trying to get past. So we did this weird manoeuvre reversing our car to try and make the path smoother for this person so they could move away. As we made the smooth manoeuvre to benefit them, they started going off on their horn, angry, upset at us not realizing that we were trying to help them. And it's kind of, to me, it was the symptomatic of in that moment, we were just, instead of laughing at them or being nasty to them or judging them or being angry and retaliating back, it was all about, oh, you just couldn't see what was happening and, you know, hope you have a nicer day and off you go. So no, you know, I'm Teflon, nothing can stick to me. However, lesser evolved versions of myself would have been like, well, they, they, and I would have laughed at that person or I would have been superior or I would have judged them or I would have criticized them or I would have belittled them, you know, all the different ways for me to cope with that. But that's, you know, me choosing how I'm going to behave in every situation is to me the real measure of who I am. And it's so I learned, um, fortunately, with the concepts of who we are, I had an experience with one of my parents where one of my parents based their sense of self on their physical appearance and then life takes that away as you age and so you have an identity crisis you have to find something else so then they based it on their intellectual prowess but then as you age life also often takes that away and that sense of identity falls away so I was really fortunate I feel in my 20s to learn from this person that okay it's not a good idea to base who I am on how I look and it's not a good idea to base who I am on my intellectual performance And then I was left with, well, what am I going to base who I am on? How am I? What's my compass? What's my guide for knowing if I'm a good person? And I came to the conclusion that it's, I'm going to base it on how I treat people. So knowing who you are and who you aren't, some people are like, I don't know what my purpose is. That's okay. Just focus in on who do you want to be? Not necessarily what legacy do you want to leave? That overwhelms a lot of people. Not very few people in life that I've met and I've worked with some of the highest performing people in the world 
have that moment where the clouds part and they get their lightning bolt and God hands down to them, here's your powerful life purpose. You know, very few people have that. That's a really tiny percentage of humanity. And if you're expecting that to come and kind of treading water while you're waiting for that, you'll continue to feel lost and powerless because if it hasn't come already, it's usually not coming. (laughs) And we're here right now. What are we going to do right here, right now with each other? I completely love that. I love talking archetypes. So one of the archetypes I talk about is the relationship between the sovereign and the child. And I always say you can't control another person's actions, but you can control your reactions. And that's when you really step into your sovereignty and you start to learn thyself. And everything that you just said, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Because if we focus in on really testing the waters with I'm going to try this and then it's through trying it you get a yes or a no there's so much in the last two years that I've tried and I'm like hmm no that's a no for me but I had to try this anyway and that is alchemy that is how you go forth and I tying it back into the arena of coaches because I can't help but keep going there because of your fabulous self but A lot of coaches I tend to notice, they actually kind of, even though they're real juggernauts in the industry, they kind of bumble around for about two to three years while they learn this and they, you know, they, oh, that's successful. Oh, nope, that wasn't so much. And we can get this false perception of uh, just how fabulous the coaching industry is and, oh, look at their... $200 million month this is and that and everything else is but they also were a little small fry when they started out they and or they just had to try stuff learn yes or no and I really really respect what you said with that you know the the clouds open and you have this lightning bolt of divinity I actually don't think I know anybody who has, has had that? I know one. I know one person in real life who had it, and it's Dr. John Martini. and I worked with him for a year and a half, and it's one person. Wow. One person out of all the um, people you know and mm. all the people I know. And uh, it's... Yeah, the statistics. It's that statistics thing again of is the probability that that's going to happen. Yeah. No, it's not. And if it does happen, freaking fabulous but please don't waste time waiting for it and I love what you said about bumbling around even that we call it that because it is so easy like when you know like well this is who I am and this is what I'm here to do in the world and yeah my environment's not a like a a helpful place to go get information from so my internal knowing has to be stronger than any kind of external noise then it's sort of like comparing yourself to other people also becomes a redundant exercise because you surrender to the the joke of, well, that's just one point in that person's journey. And of course, we've all had a bajillion things happen that have all led to a certain point in people's life and journey. And it can all be also all taken away at any moment. It's all impermanent. So what are you going to hold on to about that? There's nothing to hold on to. All you've got is who you are. Very true. The two things that they can do. The first is, um, To talk to yourself, you know how I said the inner voice has to be louder than any kind of external noise. Talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend's young child. Now, the reason I say talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend's young child is some people are already parents and have had negative experiences of parenting in ways that they maybe didn't want to, as in repeating some of the stuff their parents said to them, okay? And don't beat yourself up about it. It happens. 
it's normal. We're animals. We're going to do animal things. It's okay. So the reason I say talking to a, a friend's young child is there's a certain way that we talk to other people's children. And it's like very reverent and deliberate and specific where we're always being like courteous, mindful of what they're absorbing from us. And we we just talk to them differently to how we talk to our own children. Okay. So that's my first thing is bringing conscious awareness to the internal environment you're creating. Like I've had many a client where their internal dialogue, and I have lived that life too. My internal dialogue was a very, very dark, bad, bad place for a long time. My story is I was groomed and sexually abused as a child. I had a spinal injury as a teenager that left me dealing with chronic pain. And then my rehab was mismanaged. So all these things happened where I couldn't trust people, couldn't be taken care of. And then it turns out I also had glandular fever that wasn't diagnosed and I had post-viral chronic fatigue for five years because I kept getting medical complications of it not being diagnosed and not treated properly. So I had many years of inside not being a good place and then outside also not being that great either. And the internal voice that we cultivate, like one of my clients, an example of her, it's actually a woman. She wasn't technically a client because I ran a clinical trial four years ago of a particular protocol that I teach. And I was kind of paranoid. I was like, oh, this technique that I do was really effective with clients. And I was like, but is some of that effectiveness coming down to like personal connection? You know, it's called therapeutic rapport. But when you work with someone based on if they like and respect you, they'll be more receptive to the change. Eric um, Milton Erickson proved that the hypnotherapist who was the person who engineered like medical hypnosis, like being able to put people under anesthetic with no anesthetic, but using hypnosis. So he was a very well-recognized practitioner and he developed this concept of therapeutic rapport. So I was like, how do I test if this technique's only just happening with therapeutic rapport? So I ran a clinical trial with strangers from all over the world, just did video recordings and a workbook. And then they had to go off and do it. They had to do assessments before assessments during and assessments after to get all the information. And this woman did the trial and then she contacted me afterwards. And she was an example of, an adult who was living in a poisonous mind, her internal environment was horrible. And she says it like she's done like video testimonials and stuff. So I can say her name, Courtney. And she talks about how she would never, ever talk to anybody else the way that she was speaking to herself, you know, the level of vitriol and criticism and constant, just the constant barrage of shame, judgment, you know, devastating, right? And she, to me now, is the reminder of why I do what I do because that shift in her internal experience has completely changed every other aspect of her life, career, relationships, family, body health, et cetera, right? Like she had an eating disorder. And she now talks to herself like someone would talk to their friend's child, right? So that's number one is what you can do is try to cultivate an internal dialogue and just be aware of it. It might be that you just write it on a post-it note and put it on the mirror and go, Try talking to yourself like someone else's kid today. Because even if you only interrupt your pattern for 20 minutes of your day, that 20 minutes is going to have a big cumulative effect on your life. So there's always something you can do there. Then the second thing that you can do is to work on your belief systems. (laughs) Our belief systems around worth and value and our body and the purpose we're meant to serve on this planet and what makes us a good person. All of those belief systems we have are so powerfully coded in our neurology, in our nervous system. And after all of these years of doing extensive professional and personal development, that's what I've honed it all down to because beliefs 
you can look at beliefs. It's kind of like peeking behind the curtain at a theatre. Beliefs are really easy to access in terms of awareness, right? Value system, trauma, integrations, complex issues that usually take years of addressing in therapy. Superficially, you can actually observe them as belief systems. So it, it becomes this thing where it's like, well, what do I think is true? What's true about me? What's true about others? What's true about life? What's true about the world? Because beliefs are just true, not true. That's it. It's a black and white filter, true, not true. And assessing and looking at when I'm disempowered or when I'm struggling or like you're talking about with coaches, people who are like, I'm a healer, I'm a coach, I'm a leader, I'm a teacher, I'm a spiritual guide, whatever it is that you've got as this calling, where they're then trying to take that out into the world and be effective and share it, but also make a bloody living, right? You want to examine what do I think is true about coaches, healers, leaders? What do I think is true about me? What do I think is true about how people view those professions? What do I think is true about people charging for those professions? So that real inquiry into what's true for me will reveal all of the, you know, incomplete or um, maladaptive, like not helpful beliefs that we've formed. And it's really easy to do consciously yourself. I'm just reflecting now on my journey. Like I, when I was 29, I had what I call my spiritual activation. With that, my Saturn return came at the exact same time, what you were talking about before where you kind of get to that point where you go, I'm, I'm going to have to address this. You, you know, I can't handle being like this anymore. At that stage, I wasn't even ready to acknowledge that I wanted to help people. I actually just didn't want to be how I was. I had a toxic inner critic. I had a chronic people pleaser. I was so busy being a chameleon with that with the shapeshifter archetype with the with the um people pleaser that I had no real idea who I was yeah and probably also like who are my real friends and those things yeah I just I I knew that I had to change I couldn't handle being that way anymore Mm -hmm. and the first thing I did unknowingly until I'm having this conversation with you is I started to look at the belief systems And you can even, it's like when you're in it and you're happy to still be, um, this is how I word it, it's very dramatic, but swimming around in the primordial ooze of my life, you know what I mean? Like you're in the bottom of the barrel, you're, you're just miserable. You can't get any lower. It's the primordial ooze of the underworld. You can't get any lower. And I was swimming in that for a little while and I just, I cannot... I cannot be like this anymore. And the moment you actually make that decision and you actually decide, no, I'm, I have to change, I have no choice, it's in that decision to change that you like look at the belief systems and you can do something about it. Because I'll be really honest, I didn't even think of looking at my belief systems until I, I'm like, I have to change. But the moment I had that, you know, moment, I... I found it and, I, and I'd look at them and I'd go one by one, you know, and some of them weren't easy. I had religious woundings or religious programmings. It took me 18 months to fully be able to say and express my different newfound beliefs without flinching. And then other ones I could, like self-worth, um, my inner critic, I could actually do them in about six months. And you just... You, you you systematically don't give up over and over and over until 
one day you kind of go, I don't think and feel that way anymore. But it is that simple. It's you, you do have an innate knowing of your beliefs. It's getting to that point where going, my beliefs are toxic and dangerous and I can't be who I want to be unless I start looking at them and it's in that moment. It's very powerful. It is. And I love that you organically went to work on your beliefs, right? There's this kind of point that we get to where we realise, hang on, you know, what you talked about, like for a lot of people it's the fuck this shit moment and it's this isn't working. My experience of myself, my day-to-day quality of life, the dynamics in the relationships, how I feel in my body, myself, where we're like, this is not right. When I look at other people having more joyful, connected, peaceful, powerful experiences of life, then something something's off with me, right? And fortunately, we have things like books, films, documentaries and stuff so that beautiful little souls like us when we were little, if we weren't surrounded by that, because not a lot of people are surrounded necessarily always by healthy models, there's other things like Oprah Winfrey shares very deliberately about the only reason she has a different life from her family is because of the books she read when she was a little girl. And then she could imagine a different life and there was a different standard set for her. And then when you look at that and you go, well, then, and I'm feeling like this, then something is really wrong. Something's not okay. And you organically and instinctively went about dismantling and disrupting your belief systems. And what you said was so perfect because you kind of addressed it sort of like how you're chipping away. Consciously, you can chip away and change beliefs. That's what we do, how we educate ourselves, the media that we expose ourselves to, the people we choose to spend time and energy with, literally everywhere you put your time, attention and energy shapes your belief system because they're really plastic right so I imagine it like as a two filing cabinets there's the true filing cabinet in the back of your brain and there's the not true and all the time files are being moved and changed beliefs are really plastic that's part of the neuroplasticity so you can't change the events that happened you can't change your core you know kind of identity and construct but you can absolutely repattern all your conditioning and your belief systems about it right that's what's up for grabs with this life and that chipping away, you know, you can do belief changes with a practitioner, um, you know, typical interventions for belief changes take anywhere between 30 and 45 minutes. Like, fuck yes, please. I'd prefer to do that than have to consciously labor away at it for six months. Absolutely. And then my thing that I got fixated on was I don't like having to wait for things. I'm an Aries. I don't like having to wait for things. Okay. If I'm like, I have an idea, I want to do something. I want to do it now. And by the time I'd finished my all my basic level practitioner training, coaching certifications, zero patterning, thought field therapy, Ericksonian hypnosis, the Demartini method, all that stuff, and you know, disbehavioral profiling, all that stuff. By the time I'd finished all my basic through to master level certifications, and there was a three year gap for that, it was three years full on. I then went to work helping people do that, it was wonderful. And then I just got annoyed that I had to keep going back to practitioners to do my stuff. I'm like, surely I've just spent incredible amounts of time, money and energy learning exactly how all these things work, learning all the techniques, all the processes. So there was a part of my brain that was like on a mission, always looking for how to shine a shortcut technique so I could DIY them to myself. And then fortunately... 11 years ago, my brain popped up and went, oh, but if you take this technique and hack it and adapt it, you can do it. So now for me, beliefs, it's two minutes. It takes two minutes to change a belief system. So to me, I'm like, I'm winning. I'm winning. That's the win. 
that is a huge win. Yeah, and then it, the challenge is identifying them, right? And so you have, and so learning a technique's quick, but learning self awareness and being able to see behind the curtain and go, oh, what's going on? That's that's a level of like maturity and mastery that I think we're all like we're all on the road to that, right? I believe so, and I also want to clearly let the audience know that um, I did have my self awareness moment, but I did also had the tremendous amount of help like I went and I got healers and I also would go and make myself uncomfortable so as I was working through the religious woundings I joined a goddess group you can't make yourself any more uncomfortable than um, a bunch of women you know talking about the goddess when you have issues so I would deliberately kind of um, test the belief system because it's through the discomfort that you can navigate and, and spirit shows you. And also to make it really woo-woo is I would go into meditation and I would go into prayer and I'd be like, okay, I'm working on this. Show me. And I was always led to a book. I was always led to a person. And you can, you know, work upon them and you can also work upon more than one belief system at a time. You know, I had multiple things that I was working on, but some of them were just so hooked in there. You know, the, the religious one, the last hook was really embedded with that shame. And yeah, it's um, like a stain in a carpet. Some are just yeah. on the surface and some are really deep oh. because they've been like stepped on so many times, reinforced, reinforced. And I woke up this one day I was really chipping it as he said it and I had the most random thought I thought google the original creator of the church and I did and I went to wikipedia and then I got to look at actual court documents during his divorce and like the wife was going for the the um, bentley and the mansions and the gold cutlery and and I, I just went oh, my God, this man might have started out good, but by the end of it he got completely entrapped in greed and he was not a good man. And I just felt the chains break. But the thing to get on and Google him, that was 100% spirit. What you said was beautiful about how one day you wake up and then suddenly you're like, oh, I just don't think that way anymore. That's the sign of really powerful subconscious change, Right. So it's always, is there a new thought, feeling, or behaviour? And if there's not, it's not unconscious change. It's just conscious, deliberate grinding and working and chipping, which you still need to do. I'm a big fan of do the conscious work and the unconscious work at the same time, right? Because that way you're going, I'm always maximizing my odds here, right? The, the um, And then you just kind of reinforced it again with you woke up. Your yeah, subconscious was obviously processing where you were sick. You wake up and this new original thought arose, and like literally unlocked a whole world for you. One of my um, clients was sharing yesterday, she changed a belief about one of the aspects she's doing with her business. And as soon as she did it, the whole like business model curriculum, all the content, literally her brain just went and just gave it all to her. She's like unlocking these parts of our brain I feel like sometimes it's like this is a terrible grim thing to say, but, you know, like doors in a prison, like that movie Terminator 2 where the doors are controlled by the switches and it's like eh, and a door unlocks, you know. I feel like that's our subconscious, you know, limiting beliefs and traumatic experiences and how we have to repress and, and keep ourselves safe. We lock things away and we lock away access to our genius, our creativity, our magic, right? And every time we lock it away, it's like one of those prison doors, like bang and getting locked. And it's 
it's almost exactly like that because it takes electricity to do that. It takes brain energy and nervous system energy to do that and to keep all those doors locked. So I've always found too that when people become like liberated, you know, the doors open, like you had the whole new block of thought, what also comes with that is like a tremendous amount of energy, but also peacefulness. Did that happen for you? I felt tremendously lighter. It really has an energetical weight to it. It it does. And we have um, hooks into our past in that will add weight to a memory or a trauma or the belief system itself. Yeah, I'm actually from the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I actually believe that archetypes have an actual energetical component to them so when you're tapping into them they are an an archetypal energy they're not just in the global unconscious there is an energetical weight to it so if we're in the shadow aspects of the archetype well then we feel those energy components if we're in the light aspects you vibrationally feel more fantastic Mm -hmm. so in the instance where I was really and I'm going to use the word healing my belief systems I was pulling my energy back from all these little hooks through in my past and you know you're cured when you don't really think about them anymore they're just like you know or they're on display with another human being and you feel compassion yeah yeah and and I don't know if other people experience this but there's huge chunks of my you know early years I can no longer really remember because there's no there's no trauma attached to any of it there's nothing yeah, we about have it. Um, we have significant childhood memories when it's a very strong emo- a positive emotional charge or a very strong negative emotional charge and loads of people go I don't really remember my childhood and there's always two things at play there's either I can't remember anything as in I can't remember the color of my bedroom door in my house or you know the, what do my street look like that's full-blown like chunks of repression where you can't remember things and other people and photos and stuff can't stimulate recall, that's full-blown repression. The other is, yeah, because nothing happened or you no longer have an emotional charge about anything that happened. Yeah. Sounds like you. I, I done, like I sit there and I can piece together different, like happy memories and the different things. And I've also done enough work around my dad who passed away when I was 21. So there's not even like the weight of grief and stuff with it as well. It's just kind of the positive stuff. I was very blessed to have the, like in this lifetime, I chose really, really well when I came in. I have a, a large, beautiful family with loving parents and a very idyllic life. There was huge money programming. We lost the farm and all kinds of things. And then you have a large family. They're all going to be experiencing trauma. So, you you know, you're involved in understanding this and that. But in the grand scheme of it, very, very lucky. So oh, yeah, I'm always like I'm white, I'm female, and I was born in Australia. Just by that, I'm in the top 4% of living standards of all human beings on the planet. I'll very happily take that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good, good. Um, whatever soul contracts were going on, I had to process other shit in other areas and that's cool. Very, yeah, very feeling, very fortunate how I came in. Exactly. So I'd like to tie this all up with, we've talked about what it, what is and how it kind of started with worthiness. We've, we've gave some tips, but I always find it's really powerful to have some examples for people for when you're going through it, 
the the positive stories of other people who have survived it and we've also kind of touched a little bit about our own personal journeys but did you have any stories or analogies or something that really pops into your head of like if you are stuck in feeling like you're not worthy please do this because this can be the outcome have you got any shiny stories okay so Courtney who I was talking about before the way she articulates her journey makes it really easy as a facilitator to then kind of echo and retell her story. So Courtney's experience was eating disorder, immense self-hatred, self-disownership, and literally rock bottom confidence. Okay. And then of course, that was causing estrangement and distance with all her family members because she was completely unable to receive love. And people know when you're resisting their love and they either fight to love you or they eventually give up. That's how it goes. So she was experiencing that estranged, sorry, um, the estrangement and the disconnection with her family and conflict, active conflict with her family. And because for some families, active conflict is an expression of love. It's an attempt to express love with those dynamics. Um, Then, you know, complete... um, loss of power around what she was going to do with her career, knowing she was passionate for academics, but never believing that she could actually follow a pathway or that anyone could believe in her. She comes from South Africa. So being able to study where she wanted to study around the world economically, that was not an option. And then of course, the actual eating disorder behavior. So she had a lot of behavioral, relational, and then opportunity type measures that you could be like, boom, boom, boom. Yes, this person clearly has self-worth, I am enough issues like written all over them and showing up in lots of ways in terms of maladaptive, destructive behavior, relationship dynamics, and then also their ability to perceive what their future can hold for them. So for Courtney specifically, she did my two-minute mindset miracle protocol, that two-minute technique that changes belief systems. Like I said, she was a clinical trial participant. I had nothing to do with her. So I just met this person who was just this like radiant, light, loving person who's like, you should see my entry forms from when I did the trial. She's like, I hated myself. And this is what happened was going on with my eating disorder, my family, da, da, da. She now is almost finishing a fully funded master's in Ireland. She had then the confidence to go and pursue her academia. So she's about to finish her fully funded master's in Ireland. She's then received a scholarship for another fully funded uh, university in China. It's one of the top 20 universities in the world and most recognized organizations in the world. And she's just delightfully herself. She no longer has any symptoms of maladaptive eating disorder behaviors. She has this incredible intimacy with her family now. And she's got friendships. Like she actually has people who are just there for her. And I never knew her before. So to read her screening forms, because that was all anonymous, right? So she re-pulled them out because I didn't know who these people were and what their names were and everything, because it was all done as like a clinical trial format. For me, she was the thing of going, oh, this stuff that I've been experiencing with clients where I just use this technique to speed things up. <laughs> like that's how I was viewing this technique for years. Like, oh, it's just a shortcut I used to speed things up. She just went all in and she went all in on there's a an inclusion in that program where you get my book of big beliefs where it's like over a thousand beliefs that I've collected over the last 20 years from all different other people as well as my own life. And she just was every day going through for 15 minutes, going through and working on belief systems, like just going for it every single day. And so 
it's also the way she applied it. Like she applied it with the most discipline and most rigor and speed that I've seen anyone do. Wow. So all we need for our audience listening to this is to really want to make that change, surrender to it. Am I not happy? I I need to change my belief systems. And when you make that decision, you then start the chipping away process, mm. however you do so. Yeah. And I think she'd said to a friend of hers, mm. like, I'm at, I'm at the end of being able to cope with this. And her friend said, I'm doing this clinical trial. Would you like to also do it? I think that's how it happened. She had made the decision. She'd done that first thing that you're talking about of making the decision. Yeah, that's just so powerful. I just want everyone who's listening, who's ever struggled with this, to be inspired to make those changes because no one else can make them for you. You have to make that initial first step. There's so many tools. There's so many ways and people out there who are wanting to help, but you have to make that initial decision. My happiness matters. Like one of the biggest ones that I found when I was really young and still really in the middle of the illness and the injury and the shame and trauma and messed up relationship dynamics from being sexually abused, there was this kind of moment of me being like, hang on, I actually want to feel good. Like that, and that was a key decision that really changed my life. So if you're feeling bad, if someone's feeling bad, you get to make the decision of I want to feel good. And I know that the weight of unworthiness and shame and fear and guilt and sadness and anger, like it's so easy to get wrapped up in how unfair the world seems, right? And looking outside and seeing how unfair it is. Um, so then for people like us to be like, oh, so now all you got to do is like make a decision and then just do that little push, you know, you just got to do that little bit of a push for yourself. Hearing that can also be like, fuck off. (laughs) I'm exhausted. So I just want to say, I hear you. I feel you on that too. And that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to uh, encourage you to, when you don't have the energy, don't. When you have like a little bit of energy, please try. Do it. I have my cheerleader pom-poms ready to cheer everybody on. I really, I understand the dark night of the soul. I understand the primordial ooze and swimming around in the mud and you can't get any lower. Sometimes I tell my clients like, oh, you're there. Roll around in it. Take, like, do it. This is your chance. Roll around in it. Like, just drama, like, fully go for it because you're probably not going to ever get to come back here again. Yeah. I am a big believer in that too. I call it the dead starfish. So I go and lay on my bed like I'm a dead starfish. And it's also arms out in the martyr um, position. And um, and I'm like, everything sucks. And I and I allow oh, myself God. to delve into that. For, but I give myself a time limit. I, I only allow myself the, the day to wallow because I also know that there's no one else that can do anything. I need to to start taking that action. But I am a big believer in if you try and pretend that you're not feeling like shit, then you've got an uphill battle. Whereas in if you just allow yourself to wallow for a little while, your whole subconscious and your psyche kind of, you can, it starts to settle. It's the and then you're like, accept right. or resist, right? Resistance yeah. takes more energy. Covering it up takes more energy. And I might look like a highly motivated person and people are always like, wow, you're so energizing and you're so motivated. And da, 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 da. I'm like, fundamentally, 
I want to have great stuff happen for me, my clients, my life, my family, the world, and I'm really lazy. So I'm looking for the highest probability things that are going to move the needle. That's laziness. So resistance, as soon as I found out that resistance takes more energy, I was like, well, fuck that. I'm not doing that. Okay, let's get on the acceptance train. If I'm feeling like shit, I feel like shit. <laughs> yep, 100%. I'm, a, I'm on a little bit of the lazy bandwagon as well. I completely get that because if you if you stay stuck in it for too long, I then will activate. I'll actually activate my inner critic and I'll activate the other aspects and I'll start to judge myself and different things. So I like to watch. Which is just another form of resistance, right? So that's, yeah, yeah, you, yeah you learn, you learn all, yeah, we learn all the tricks as we go. <laughs> yeah. I like to wallow and then I like to get it done. So Perfect. I've absolutely loved our conversation. I think there's some pure gems in there for everybody who has listened. I'm going to put all the links and everything for how to contact you in the description, but I just wanted to let you also verbalize it. How would you like people to find you? Well, I have a little gift that I'd like to give to people that it's all about those hacks and the laziness and well how do I squeeze the most out of life in the smoothest easiest least resistant least traumatic way I'm not a big fan of the let's we have to re-traumatize ourselves to change ourselves I'm not not a fan been through that not a fan so if you go to my Instagram it's my handle is Emily the diamond because yes my real surname is diamond it's not a stripper name it's not made up it's my birth name um it's you know you know just like being a you know Carpenter people were carpenters, diamond merchants took the name diamond. So somewhere in my heritage, someone was dealing diamonds. And if you go to Emily the Diamond in my link in bio, there's a resource called the Mindset Miracle. And it's the Mindset Miracle Manifesto. And it's my collection of all my top tips and tricks over all of these years. And remember, my first career was medical. So I started out in the medical world and worked also in natural medicine and sports medicine and injury rehab. So I learned extensively about physiology, biology, nutrition. So it's everything from mindset to how we maximize our physiology to also make our mindset better. And you can like literally just dive in, take little pieces that you like, or read it from the beginning to the end. It's, you know, it's fully your choice. And you can download the Miracle Mindset Manifesto through my link in bio if you go to Emily the Diamond on Instagram. What a gift. I'll put all the links down so make it easy for everybody. But Emily the Diamond is very easy to remember anyway. Well, yeah, that's so. one of my friends. She made that joke up years ago. I just have to say that I, that I missed that little bit. Like my girlfriend Claire made that up. I'd own it if I had the last name um, Diamond. Um, my last name is Beard. And because people can't believe that, they constantly ask me. I think it's like an, oh, you know, did I hear what I could hear? And I am constantly having to spell it. And in the end, I just go, like the stuff on a man's face. I, I, I had a dollar for every time I said that in my lifetime. I'd be quite rich. So um, Emily the Diamond is perfect. I love it. Yeah, no, it was never going to change this name. <laughs> no, perfect. Oh, I have to tell you too, just as a little side, people who are younger than us won't think it's funny, but we will think it's funny. My sister married a man called Neil. Really? Yeah, and we've been like hassling him for 30 years to change his name. He still won't do it, but that's okay. We can still laugh about it. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm, I get it. Yeah, we won't say it because people we who won't. get it get it and people who yeah. don't get it will be like, yeah. what? They can do some Googling. 
<laughs> They're supposed to be really good at it. They can do the Googling. I love it. Thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful interview. I think it's incredibly helpful for people and I can vouch for and put my hand up and just say you're absolutely brilliant at what you do and you know so many people who have been through this. So I feel very, very lucky to have you on helping my audience. Thank you. And it's been my absolute honour to help all those people and the the amount of trust that people give to let someone help them is phenomenal and I don't take that lightly. And if anyone's taken anything from our conversation today, the insights I've shared, the insights Jess has shared, I'm so, so happy this is us fulfilling our purposes together. Thank you, Jess. Thanks for helping bring powerful people together to enhance everybody's consciousness and speed everybody's path. So I'm a big believer in we all rise and one one time someone just said you know no one's left behind and as we uh, step up and we fear being seen heard and known that was a that was a big one for me is being known and and actually stepping up and saying hey I can help you in this way didn't even realize that that one was going to be one that I had to like you know so as we step up and we're doing podcasts and we're on YouTube and we're helping people, we just by that very act is also showing people, hey, I can do that. Oh, I could have a conversation on podcasts. I could do this. And it gives them that incentive. So, and then they go forth and help people. And then people watch them and they go, I could do that. And I I was just pondering before we, oh, I even hopped on, like this, the ripple effect of everything that you've done in your oh, life. I, I was literally, when you were talking much earlier in our conversation, I was like, oh, it's, you know, like you're throwing stones in a pond and the ripple. And it literally just came up then of like, if there's enough ripples, people just think that that's the water. <laughs> yeah. And like the amount of people that you've helped you then have gone on to help other people who've then gone on to help other people. It's just such a fabulous um business to be in it is and it's a for me it's a celebration of life because I was not born at a time where it's just about primary survival I've been born at this time I feel like I was born at the best time fully convinced I was born at the best time I remember life before the internet I remember pre-digital life and I've got to see both and there's a reason why I was born now and it's all to do with well how do we improve quality of life for human beings all over the world you know emotionally environmentally economically education and yeah I'm you can tell I'm psyched about I'm just like this is best to be alive let's do it it is and I was literally having this conversation before like I was joking how the first time I traveled solo I only had the lonely planet there was no there was no iPhone there was no nothing and I sometimes think to myself, how the hell did I travel back then? Because I've traveled since and it's so easy. And when I was in Peru last year, I used Google Translator, you know, and they would give me their phones and we'd use Google Translate. And I'm like, how did I ever travel without the internet? So I was really reflecting on, you know, it's a fabulous time to be alive, but I also do kind of love our adventurous souls that took off to another country with a book to help us. <laughs> So I think we really did very well entering the the universe when we did and entering yeah. the um, earth when we did. Alrighty, I better end this interview and thank you again. And you. everyone who would like to know more about Emily the Diamond, um, the links are in the description. Thanks, everyone. Now. This is your cheerleaders signing off. <laughs> <laughs>